guess what the number two search engine is? Uh, not Bing. Not Bing. Yes, it's YouTube. <laughs> so another Google-owned property is uh, at number two. It's not Bing and it's not Yahoo. It's YouTube. on average read 60 books per year. Many attribute their professional success to this persistent quest for new wisdom and innovative excellence. MentorBox makes it easy for you to develop that same high-achieving habit of lifelong learning. As a person of action, you know that true ingenuity is the result of deep, deep knowledge. And just by listening to this podcast, you are working toward your goals every single day. If you are ready to wholly embrace this mindset, this 1% better every day, then check in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for new episodes. And if you want to dive deeper into the teachings of our guests, become a member at mentorbox.com today. There, we'll be uploading a course from Stefan Spencer. Stefan is a search engine optimization guru, speaker, and author of several books, including the continually updated, currently more than 1,000 page long the Art of SEO, in its third edition. He hosts two podcasts, has his own blog, and has been featured on every major news network. A self-described futurist, he and I discuss what machine learning will look like as AI and new tech enter into our lives. SEO, data analytics, and marketing will continue to undergo rapid change as the technological and online landscapes evolve. If you don't want to be left behind, be sure to take notes on this one. Enjoy. Hello, 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 and welcome to the MentorBox podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lay, and today I'm speaking with Stefan Spencer. Stefan, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you. Yeah, it's great to be here. So you are an SEO master of sorts. You have a wonderful website with all kinds of resources to help people figure out SEO search engine optimization. It seems like you've been at this for a while. You've even written a few books um, on Google and some other methods, and I'm curious as to where you first dipped your toes into the sphere of knowledge that is SEO. Can you tell me that origin story? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, it started in the 90s, actually. And I started before Google existed. And by the way, just a little trivia question. What do you think Google was called before it was Google? Oh, I, I know this. I, <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. I can't, I can't remember. Um, uh I can, what is it? I forget. <laughs> back rub. Back rub? Back rub. Can you believe oh, that? Maybe, maybe I didn't know that. I, I guess I thought it was something else. Back rub. Do you, and do you know why it was called back rub? I don't, but thank goodness they changed the name. <laughs> That's yeah, horrible, that, right? That, I'm not sure I would have used that tool no matter what it did <laughs> if it was called back rub. Well, there were was, there was search engines back in the day like Dogpile, and uh, I, I can't believe people actually used that search engine. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> All right. So back to the origin story. So if you could imagine it was uh, 
kind of early mid nineties, I learned about mosaic and started building websites before Netscape even existed. I went to the second international worldwide web conference. I met, uh, Rob McCool who invented Apache, the web server that runs most of the internet these days. And also Tim Berners-Lee who invented the worldwide web. I decided I need to drop out of my PhD program in biochemistry and start a, a, an, an internet business, an agency. And uh, so I started Net Concepts and I started uh, building websites for pretty large uh, corporate clients. And then Google came around. Well, actually, before Google, I started doing SEO, uh, targeting like AltaVista and InfoSeek and, and, and web crawler and that. So that was a wild, wild west kind of time. And uh, well, actually, over that next decade, it was, it was pretty interesting times. But I stayed white hat through the whole process of, or the whole evolution of SEO. And it was in 2009 that I came out with the art of SEO with my co-authors. Um, yeah, Rand Fishkin, for example, one of my co-authors, uh, who, uh, he founded SEO Moz, which became Moz. Uh, he and I, uh, chatted in a, in a speaker lounge in 2007 or eight, seven, it was 2007. And, uh, he came up to me and gave me a hug and I hadn't even spoken to him before. So I was, I was kind of surprised by that. And he told me, dude, you brought it at the last conference at SMS SMX advanced a month ago. It was amazing. And, uh, your, your presentation was, uh, you know, incredible. And we just started chatting and we decided in that same conversation to do a book together within two days. We had O'Reilly as a publisher, thanks to Danny Sullivan, who happened to be at Foo Camp at the moment, uh, at that very time when we reached out to him that weekend. And next thing we knew, we were starting a book together. And uh, yeah, so 2009, the first edition came out. And then uh, we've continually updated and added. Now it's almost a thousand pages. It's in its third edition. Uh, Rand's no longer involved in it because uh, he had other things to to do. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're due for, for a fourth edition pretty soon here. So, Wow. So you are by all means, one of those super early adopters of all things internet and World Wide Web. Is that safe to say? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I'm I'm very future focused. Uh, I took StrengthsFinder, if you're familiar with that, the StrengthsFinder assessment, just a great assessment. You really should take it if you uh, aren't familiar with it. And my number one strength is futuristic. So it's like a superpower being able to see the future and where things are going in terms of machine learning and artificial intelligence and uh, artificial general intelligence and or you know, autonomous intelligence really is what AI will become. It's it's a brave new world, and and we need to think exponentially, not linearly, because that's how things are progressing at an exponential pace because of Moore's law and Metcalf's law and so forth. You really need to stay on top of things because you, you just kind of lose track of stuff for a year and you're hopelessly behind. Mm -hmm. This is an exciting as, time. <laughs> oh, of course. And do, would you say that SEO and other forms of sort of data optimization and analytics, are those going to be alive and well into the time of AI and beyond? Yeah, but 
it's going to be different. So you need to stay up with it because right now there um, are things that you need to take into account in terms of um, the content that you write and uh, the links that you build and so forth. It's not that uh, links will go away anytime soon. They're really foundational to the Google ranking algorithm. And it's not like you know, text and, and, and the keywords and the words you choose will go away. It's just you, you need to think about the future and about machine learning as you're writing content because it, it, it's not just about putting the right words in the right place. You need to think in terms of like, am I uh, broadly covering this topic? Am I, am I going in depth enough? Am I incorporating um, related uh, topics, related keywords, related entities? Uh, some SEOs refer to this as LSI keywords. So like, so let's say you're talking in an article about lawnmowers and you don't talk about grass, you don't talk about weed whackers or lawn care or um, uh, lawn furniture or the patio, the deck, any of that. Well, that looks like a very superficial article. You're just talking about lawnmower, lawnmower, lawnmower. Maybe you're working in uh, plural and some different uh, synonyms, but you're you're not covering broadly the topic. So that's something that machine learning will be able to pick out very easily. So think about that now, incorporate those into your articles. If you ha have written articles that didn't address things uh, comprehensively in that way, go back and rewrite them and, and put a new updated date in the article. It's not like you're going to post a brand new blog post with a new URL. You're going to go and update an old URL, uh, an old blog post, give it a new date and um, do a comprehensive rewrite, a, a big update. It's a great way to um, make your content more evergreen and then it will get rewarded by Google. One of the things that I've encountered pretty frequently, almost you know, unanimously it seems whenever I do SEO research, which was you know before we did this podcast a bit, admittedly, and at, at plenty of points in my career too, um, a common notion is that you need to be creating content for consumers, for your readers, and not for, you know, search engines necessarily. It, like there is a sort of ethos that must exist behind what you're doing that is ultimately consumer directed. And I assume this, you know, this falls into your suggestion that you create a robust article with all the things that are related to a lawnmower, that sort of thing. But do you agree with that statement ultimately? Yeah, no. I mean, you need to think about how your content is going to get consumed. If you are just thinking about create something great and hope that it gets picked up properly by the search engines and it goes viral just on its own with Facebook and uh, Twitter and all that, yeah, that's not going to happen. So yeah, there, I mean, there's so much content out there at this point. How can you possibly, you know, make it to the top of any list if you're if you're just writing and just publishing, right? I mean, that seems well, all too easy for anybody to do. Well, it's not that it's easy, but it's simple. It's pretty simple, right? The, there, there are two things really that you need to do. You need to make that content remarkable. And I'm being very deliberate with the word choice there. Remarkable, by Seth Godin's definition, is worth remarking about. 
if you're familiar with the purple cow, it's a, it, it's such a powerful concept. It doesn't have to be the best, the most interesting, the most useful, the most humorous piece of content that's ever been around, but it just has to have something about it that is worth remarking about. So that's step one. Yeah, and that people two, will talk about and share. Yeah. And then step two is that you, you can't rely on people just discovering that remarkable content on their own. They're not going to just go like, oh, I haven't seen any remarkable content ever on XYZ's website or blog. I'm going to go check and see if maybe they came up with something. Not going to happen. You have to get it out there and get it discovered. So that means outreach to influencers, to the linkerati. Those are the influencers who have a lot of trust and authority in the eyes of Google, which are different from the influencers on social media. There are so many Instagrammers and YouTubers and so forth who have websites that are just seemingly unimportant and untrustworthy to Google. They didn't bother building links and inviting their fans and followers, their tribe to link to their websites. And so Google doesn't think very highly of those websites. It's not worth getting links from their sites, maybe get a mention on their YouTube channel or you know, in one of their videos or something. But as far as getting links, it's not worth it. So go after high trust, high authority links by collaborating and being helpful and um, creative, innovative, um, altruistic when you're dealing with these linkerati. So two-step process. Linkerati. Yep, yep. Interesting name there. <laughs> um, so what are some great tools for doing that sort of thing? I assume that, you know, you consider blogging and that sort of creation of content articles, story content um, of high priority for, you know, anybody who's looking to optimize um what else can people do to not only, you know, make sure that they have the right content um, and right sorts of things on their website, but also, you know, test and and see exactly how well they're doing in terms of SEO? Yeah, well, testing, first of all, is very different when you're dealing with Google versus when you're doing conversion rate optimization and you're using uh, conversion testing tools, A-B split tests and uh, multivariate tests, that sort of stuff can be done easily when you're talking about conversion optimization, right? That's uh, using tools like VWO, Visual Website Optimizer, or Optimizely. That's easy. Uh, well, <laughs> again, it's uh, maybe not easy, but it's uh, it's pretty straightforward. So, Are those the ones that use like heat maps and that sort of thing on the page? Um, you can you 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 can get uh, heat maps from many of the tools. A lot of the uh, tools that give you heat maps aren't going to necessarily allow you to run tests, like Crazy Egg. Even Google Analytics will give you heat maps. But um, as far as running multivariate tests, where you're able to test uh, multiple uh, variables at the same time. And it creates a whole r range of variants. Um, that's with a multivariate testing tool like Optimizely or Visual Website Optimizer. And that's for conversion. But when we're talking about SEO, you can't run tests in, pl in uh, parallel because there's only one Google and there, you only have one homepage. And if you're trying to optimize your homepage or a top selling product page, how, how are you going to do an A B split test? 
You don't have two home pages to test one against the other. There aren't two Googles to test against. So you have to run these tests in serial, one after the other. And you have to give the test enough time for it to show the results. Um, things change. There's, there's, there's volatility, especially if you're trying to go after something as uh, ephemeral as a featured snippet, which is essentially position zero in the search results. That's the instant answer that you'll see in the answer box above the first organic result, right? You type in how to tie a tie or how to boil an egg or something, and you'll get a, an answer. And it might have a, a, an image to go with it. It might be a bulleted list or a numbered list, a paragraph, a table even. Uh, tables are not that common, only about not even 15% of the time will will there be table snippets. But, you know, let's say it's a, it's a bulleted list snippet. And you're like, I want that. My competitor has that. I want that. They're, they're so volatile because Google's optimizing for voice search to get the best answer, the best featured snippet possible, because it's reading those featured snippets as the answer in voice search, right? Okay, Google. And then you ask a question Google wants to respond with, and here's the answer. Not with a list of 10 blue links, right? That doesn't work in voice search. And we are going to be talking to our computers and our devices more than we'll be typing on them because we're so much faster at it. And so, you know, this is, this is a huge uh, shift, paradigm shift. It's, I don't know if you remember, um, depends on how young you are. Uh, you're probably pretty young. If you recall the days of before the GUI, the graphical user interface, when, uh, Apple Macintosh didn't exist and, um, Windows 3.1 didn't exist and, and you would type in command line uh, type commands into this, the C prompt, into uh, Unix. Uh, th- th- those were the days, right, when you had to uh, use is, all these commands. Is this the lines. sort of green, like green text on a black screen yes. that I see in the movies yes. sometimes? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And so imagine for the people who lived through that to suddenly see that you have a mouse and you have a, a graphical user interface. You've got a trash can. You've got icons you can double click on. It was like life changing. Now imagine how much different that it, it, it that or how m- much of a transition that is, and and probably multiplied by two when people stop typing on their devices, including their computer, and start talking to their devices and their computers. We're going to be doing that just like Star Trek, and it's going to be like second nature. That's the advent of the LUI, the linguistic user interface. So Google Google is changing the game here in terms of, it's not just about having instant answers. I mean, that's that's the, the short-term thing. They're, they're constantly evolving their algorithm around featured snippets to improve what is going to be the answers that Google voice search is going to give. So it's a a very exciting time. So you can optimize for uh, getting more featured snippets, which will make you the the king or queen in terms of voice search when that becomes the thing. It's already quite popular, but it's going to be the thing um, for the future. Um, How far do you think we are from that being the thing? um, Temporally, how long? 
uh, it could be a few years, might even be five years, but people are using uh, voice search a lot and they're talking to other devices, to Siri, to um, uh, to their Echo, their Amazon Echo, so you know, talking to Alexa. So this is something that is uh, already well on its way. And then that, in, in addition to uh, you have the evolution of machine learning and, and AI. So, uh, yeah. And, and, and get this, like, what's the best way or really the only way to optimize when you're dealing with an AI? Okay, so the AI of Google, you're trying to manipulate, outsmart, um, optimize against an AI at Google. How, how do you do that? And any ideas? <laughs> you study it a lot and you, you do research on it and then you take action on whatever it is you're trying to do. <laughs> Maybe, but um, I say that the only way to win against an AI is with another AI. Sure. So we as SEOs or as just business owners who are trying to get to the top of Google and stay there, be you know, create a future-proof website and uh, YouTube channel and all that, um, we, we need to understand machine learning. And um, that's just like the first evolution. And then full AI, and we need our own AI to be our partner in in this optimization process and it's again it's not just for google it's also for youtube um you know optimizing your your youtube channel and your youtube videos because guess what the number two search engine is uh not bing not bing yes it's youtube <laughs> so another google owned property is uh, at number two it's not yeah, bing and it's wow. not yahoo it's youtube hey I hate to interrupt this conversation with Stefan Spencer, but I want to let you know where you can learn more about SEO and online marketing. Stefan recorded a full series of videos on the topics, but per usual, these are exclusively for MentorBox members. If you want access to that and much, much more, be sure to visit MentorBox.com today. All right, back to the show. So ultimately what you're saying is that anybody who's looking to you know, stay at the top of the food chain has to have a good understanding and perhaps, you know, what you could even call a partnership with AI. Yeah, it, to be future proof. Um, there are a lot of SEOs who are making bank right now, and that's all going to come to a crashing halt. Like 10 years ago, somebody managed to get to the top of Google for the term Viagra and they made millions. I actually know a guy who did this and now he's just working for a living again because he made his millions and then he spent it and those millions are gone and he's, those loopholes are closed. He's not going to be able to get to the top of Google again for Viagra. So yeah, back to, back to the grind. <laughs> that's so that's a question that I have actually interesting anecdote because I was just going to segue myself into this question of um you know paid ads essentially you know Google I remember whenever I started using um a certain uh I guess it's kind of like a a CRM slash organization program online Basecamp um there are many alternatives to Basecamp there are seemingly thousands of them but 
when I search that on Google, there are two ads that come up that say better than Basecamp. And it's for a couple of other programs that do similar things, probably not identical, of course. But at the end of the day, you know, ads have the ability to seemingly override um, a good amount of what SEO can achieve. Is that true? Um, they, they occupy different places in the ecosystem. You can certainly pay enough to get above the organic results. The, the thing is, is that's not giving the implied endorsement of Google that a, or, an organic search listing provides. Okay. But how many people that are just, you know, doing a Google search, th- do you think think of things in that way at this point in time that, you know, they're willing to skip over the first few ads. If they're actually looking to take on a product, they're willing to skip over the first few ads, even if it's deliberately listed as ad. Do you think enough of the population is, is now truly looking for that, that sort of endorsement over the first option? Well, it's not that they're looking for an endorsement. It's just, it's kind of in the back of our minds as users that, those are paid ads. It's just whoever pays to play is going to show up there, and it doesn't mean it's the best solution, right? So if I type in alternatives to Basecamp, and I'm seeing uh, a whole all the search results are ads, I'm not going to trust any of that. Whereas if I type in alternatives to Basecamp, and I see uh, blog posts, articles, and so forth, uh, comparisons between... Uh, Asana and Trello and Basecamp and, uh, you know, whatever other tools that I'm going to take more seriously. And especially if it ranks highly in the Google search results, if it's at page 10 or something, I don't take it seriously. In fact, 95 plus percent of people do not go past page one in the Google search results. Yeah. That's what I would think. Yeah. And, and although the paid ads will get, uh, significant amounts of click through people, don't treat those in the same way as organic listings. If Google stopped providing organic search results, we would stop using the search engine. There have been search engines that were all about paid ads, and they didn't make it. <laughs> what were some examples of those? Oh, boy. Um, I don't even remember because it was so long ago. Those were That was the days before... Um, like Overture, like even before Overture was Overture. Do you remember what uh, Overture was called? I'm going to quiz you again. I don't. I don't think so. No. Yeah, it was GoTo, uh, GOTO. So okay. So back in those That's days, familiar. yeah, there were search engines that, and we're talking like well over uh, like two decades ago. Um, there were search engines that were experimenting with just being paid search engines. There were search engines that were just meta search engines. In other words, they didn't have their own algorithms. They just uh, used other people's uh, other search engine search results and then uh, aggregated them. So it was a, 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 an interesting time, but that business model doesn't work. It's it's a failed business model of, of just relying too heavily on paid ads and not giving uh, editorial like you're not going to buy a magazine or a newspaper that's all ads. Ads pay for the running of the newspaper or the magazine, but the editorial is what keeps the readers. It's, it's no different when you're talking about editorial versus advertising in terms of 
search engines and how the editorial results need to be amazing in order for people to stay on that search engine and, and, and be loyal. Mm-hmm. I want to play a sort of devil's advocate really quickly because as you were describing like your own reaction to something like a, an alternatives to Basecamp search, you know, you were saying from your perspective how you would respond um, or it, so it seemed, maybe you were talking about, you know, the, the royal eye, if you will. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, I do feel like there is a lot to say about a company that is capable of getting its, its you know, link at the top of Google through paid ads. Because, and a lot of people, I think, might allow their thinking to go no further than this, if a company is doing the thing that I'm looking for and they have enough money and they have the wherewithal and the knowledge to get their thing, their link put at the very top of Google, that's an indication of some level of knowledge of how A, the internet works, probably how these programs work, because they probably had to pay a good amount of money to get that up there. So they must be succeeding in some capacity. Well, sure. I mean, it's not that they're... um uh, they're unsuccessful or they're ineffective. It's that it's only one part of the equation. Like you don't want to neglect uh, paid advertising and for uh, pay-per-click Google ads. You don't want to neglect social media. You don't want to uh, neglect conversion optimization or analytics or anything like that. You, you, you want to be excellent at all of it, but it's, if you neglect SEO, it, it's just a recipe for disaster. So let's say that you are just plowing all sorts of money in advertising, and then you're not looking after the organic results. So the competitors are swooping in and they're occupying the rest of page one, or not just competitors, but detractors, people who dislike you. And so they go file a ripoff report, which is as easy as like five minutes and you go to ripoffreport.com and then it shows up at the like on page one without the consumer's effort other than the five minutes it took to write something horrible about the company. And so if you have not built out a strong uh, SEO foundation, then, you know, like if you do a search for um, any major brand that has, um, you know, like uh, – less than a stellar reputation, like, I don't know, Comcast or something. People love to hate Comcast. (laughs) They have to work very, very hard to occupy as much of the shelf space, which, you know, those top 10 results as possible with their social profiles, with uh, their customer service desk, with uh, um, all sorts of things that are uh, auxiliary to their their main homepage. And, And by doing that, they help uh, inoculate themselves against future attacks by uh, haters, detractors, competitors. Like there's a thing called negative SEO that is very real and 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 works, unfortunately. And that's where somebody doesn't like you. It could be a competitor, it could be an affiliate, and they want you to rank lower than them. So they target you with a, a low quality link building campaign. They pay. to some uh, offshore company to build lots of really horrible, low-quality links to your site, and they ruin your reputation with Google, and then your rankings plummet. 
So if you haven't built out a strong SEO foundation, you haven't been doing link building, you could be very susceptible. Is is that the only defense to negative SEO is a, a good SEO, a positive SEO campaign, that sort of thing? Uh, it's not the only thing that you would do, but it's, it's, it's essential. It's kind of a prerequisite to doing well with SEO. Uh, you could do a link removal campaign, use a tool like Pitchbox and send out link removal requests to uh, all the low quality websites that have linked to you. And that's going to be a a lot of frustration and um, no results. You might get 1% or 2% of the sites you're reaching out to to acquiesce and remove the link. But you do have to show some effort to Google, to the algorithm, that you've done some cleanup because they assume it's you. And usually the assumption is right. Like most websites that start up that are just brand new are spam. So if you have a brand new website, chances are you're spam, at least as far as Google's concerned. So, you know, kind of like the uh, shoot first, ask questions later thing. If, if, if we penalize you first and then you earn, your tr- earn our trust over time, that's, that's probably a good way to keep the spam from the Google users. And it actually does work pretty well. So negative SEO shouldn't in theory work somebody else did the link building and it's low quality links. It wasn't you, but yet you're penalized for it. How can that even work? It's so unfair, right? But if you're Google, assume that they are doing um, nasty manipulative stuff because most of the time they are. And if it's in the case of negative SEO, which is probably one in a thousand, then we can like look at their their profile of what they did to clean up the the links if there were any removed if they submitted a disavow file if they had a, a manual penalty called a manual action that'll show up in your Google Search Console and then they can respond to that send a a message to the Google Webmaster Central team and say no no please it wasn't me and here's my evidence and here's what I did to clean up the mess and so forth and hope that you get back in. So there's, there are certainly things you can do, but you can't just uh, blindly go into the brave new world of, of you know, next generation SEO, hoping that things will just work themselves out and Google's really smart and Google will, you know, take my great content and do what it's supposed to with it and make it rank high. So there's actually so much shit on the internet that at all times you're kind of forced to wade through it and always have a defense up against that, whether it's, you know, through the positive content that you're creating or through, you know, deliberate acknowledgement and attempt to remove the the negative content. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's essentially, it's a signal versus noise problem. I mean, we all have that in terms of so much nonsense that will waste our time, distract us, cat videos and things. And we don't get the important work done. So Google is trying to you know, protect us from all the, the garbage that will um, send us down rabbit holes, that will uh, scam us and take us, uh, take our money, take our identities. They're, they're, they're doing a lot to protect us and inoculate us. And so um, this is for our benefit because then we will become loyal users. And we already are, right? Most of us are very fanatical about using Google. Can can you imagine switching to Bing as your primary search engine? 
I saw a woman using Bing on the plane that I took from Boston to San Francisco yesterday, and I almost had to speak to her about it. I almost had to stop what I was doing and say, can you explain to me why you're using Bing right now? Yeah, that's hilarious, right? It's crazy. Yeah. So Google, I can't imagine. Google has has infiltrated our psyche. It's uh, and, and by the way, one of my books is called Google Power Search, which... It's all about how to be a power user of Google. It's not even an SEO book. It's all about how to find things like confidential business plans of competitors. You can actually find those in Google. It's crazy. You can find Forrester research reports that normally cost thousands of dollars uh, just with simple Google searches. And um, I've even found credit card number files with expiration dates. And of course, that's not in the book. But you know, that's the sort of stuff that you can find if you are a sophisticated searcher. So if unsophisticated searchers can find what they're looking for with Google, and because the algorithms are so smart, rank brain and all the stuff that's, um, like I said, machine learning behind the scenes in, in Google can just figure out your intent. You type in the word dolphins, for example, and depending on your previous search history, it's going to either show you football team uh, web pages or it's going to show you the the cute uh, sea mammal. And it's it's smart enough to realize you know, we're, we're searching for different things. So this, this is, uh, it's an exciting time. Um, but yeah, the, the, the art of SEO is like I said, a thousand pages, well, 994 pages for a reason, because this is, um, it's a lot of work and there's complexity and, but there's also simplicity, like I said, um, and you just have to just keep up with it. If, if you don't want to do it yourself, you don't have to, but hire an expert. Don't hire somebody that's cheap because um, that will end up being worse than doing nothing. You can get you penalized. It'll be as bad as a negative SEO attack potentially. So be very, very particular about who you take on to help you with your strategy, with the execution of the strategy. Uh, you know, I'm, so I'm working with clients like um, Volvo, for, uh, for example, and um, the, even the biggest companies, the biggest brands need strategy and they need expertise from uh, somebody very, very good, like somebody who's done the the 10,000 hours plus, you know, that's get, that, that uh, did the hard yards and knows the stuff inside and out. And that, that will help you to um, set the, the right path. Great. Well, how about this? I, I'm fascinated by this stuff and I want to learn as much as possible. And I think the folks at MentorBox would love to as well. So I would absolutely love to have you in to do a full video course with us where we can dig a little bit deeper, um, do some video courses and perhaps even offer some visuals. Does that sound good? I would love to do that. Perfect. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us for the podcast. This was eye-opening to think a little bit about the future and machine learning and you know what that's going to mean. And uh, the idea of a Louie, I think, is incredible, too. I hadn't really thought about that and how it seems like we're naturally moving in that direction. I get a lot of people who only really send voice text messages to me, you know, voice messages, I guess, um, over iMessage and that sort of thing. And um, it's, it's, it's interesting to think, you know, what that will mean for search engines and just web navigation in the future and that sort of thing. So I would love to hear more from you in a full video lesson. Sounds great. And for, for our listeners who just want to take one step 
today while they're listening, like, what do I do next? Um, I recommend chapter seven of my book, The Art of SEO. This chapter is on content marketing. It's not overly technical and you're already producing content because you have a website, I'm sure. And so this is just about how to get that content um, out there and, and appearing to Google as authoritative and trusted. That chapter, I'm, I, I can give uh, your listeners for free if they just go to marketingspeak.com slash mentorbox. Great. Sounds perfect. Thank you so much. Um, also, other ways to learn more about you, stephanspencer.com is your website, right? That is correct. And um, you give out your phone number on that website. You don't have to give it here. But um, do you have any uh, you know, social media handles or anything that you'd like people to check out if they want to learn more as well? Of course. Yep. You can follow me on Twitter, S. Spencer, um, Facebook, Stefan Spencer SEO. Um, I'm not too active on Instagram, so probably Facebook and Twitter are the best platforms. I also have a Pinterest um, uh, you know, account and um, also doing some stuff on Reddit. But really the best place uh, to start is stephanspencer.com. There you'll find my two podcasts, Marketing Speak and The Optimized Geek. And you'll find tons of resources, recordings of past webinars and, um, yeah, just tons of stuff, white papers and checklists and so forth. Great. Well, thanks again. I look forward to getting you in our studio for a, for a more robust course. Likewise. And everybody else, thank you so much uh, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to the MentorBox podcast. If you want to learn more about what our authors as well as all of our authors teach, make sure to sign up at MentorBox.com. And if you like the MentorBox podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast.